stand. Let's uh, take our Bibles tonight and um, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. All right, Ephesians chapter 5, a very familiar um, passage of Scripture. We're going to look at some key words. I have two basic passages tonight. then that's all. Well, nope, we do have a couple others. All right. Two basic passages by way of exhortation or by principle, and then a couple passages by way of example. And this morning, the message was about the being a godly father and the life based on the life of Abraham and wonderful things about him. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, I don't know if, if uh, I can explain it, but uh, there are times when well, of course, I'm preaching through a book like Luke. It's pretty obvious where we're going to be, you know, the next Sunday. And then special days come up, different things come up. And so I ask the Lord to give messages and lay up, you know, just put scriptures in my mind and heart. Because that's how I go about preparing messages. I don't look for a topic and try to find scripture to support it. I ask God to lead me to scripture and then get the, you know, get the topics from the scripture. Now, there's a difference there if you can un- you can understand that's why we have a lot of cults and stuff a lot of false teaching because people find they want to, they want to teach something and they try to find scripture to support it now that's not that's the backwards approach we our doctrine comes from the scripture and so the scripture but anyway so there are times when when I'll be thinking and thinking and going about different scriptures and then one keeps coming back well this morning for this morning's message it was um Abraham just come back. I thought, well, maybe I'll look in this direction, that direction scripturally. And it just kept coming back to Abraham, to Genesis, to Romans, to Galatians, to Isaiah, different places. Talks about Abraham. After the message this morning, a lady came up to me and she was just grinning from ear to ear. She said, I've been reading about Abraham all this week in Genesis. And, and so that was, that was, that's an encouragement when you realize that, you know, God is working in that way. And he'll do that, by the way. You know, God will do something just to bless one of his children. Have you, have you figured that out? Um, over the years, he'll do something just for one of his children. So that's, what, that's how, why one of the reasons our God is so great. So tonight, Ephesians chapter 5. And let's start in verse number 25 because we are giving, I'm giving attention, the attention to the guys tonight, the men. Um, husbands, it says, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, and so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church, so even as the Lord does for the church, all right? And so we're going to stop right there. Those are the verses we're going to mainly emphasize uh, tonight. Father, thanks so much for the word of God, for the guidance it gives us. Lord, we are so uh, in need of, of teaching from God's word, and especially in these days, every every generation, there's opposition to the word of God, but it sure seems like today the biblical roles of husbands and fathers is really being undermined and even unfortunately even in some so-called Christian circles 
So, Lord, may we be reminded tonight, encouraged, challenged what the Word of God says tonight, particularly about being a godly husband. And so help us. I thank you, Lord, for my wife. And just thank you for the years you've given us. Thank you for every husband and wife here tonight. And maybe some who are listening over the phone or will listen to sermon audio. May the Word of God be a blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so tonight, a godly husband. Um, For a Christian man to love the Lord and his wife and children is what is most important and valuable in the sight of the Lord. We we need to remember that. For a Christian man to love love the Lord first, that's, that's it, above everything else, and then his wife and his children is what is most important and valuable in the sight of the Lord. That's why there's so much in the Bible. That's why there's so many examples given, you know, good and bad. And tonight, we're, today, we've emphasized good examples, and, you know, so we're going to do that again tonight. So what I'd like to do, just simply two main points tonight. Number one, exhortations from Scripture. What does the Bible say a godly husband will be and do? And then the second point is simply some examples of godly husbands in Scripture, men that were... And emphasized in these passages, these examples emphasize certain character traits of these men, something that was outstanding. Now, they were probably had all of them, but the Bible just em- emphasizes in our example passages one or two couple things that each of these men did that are examples to us. So, the exhortation, and I want this, this tonight, the, the Lord directed, I believe, to do it this way, just to look at several key words. Okay, so in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25, there are, I want us to look at four key words, all right? So in verse 25, uh, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So the first word is the word love, all right? Now, and you... You've heard this before, most of you have. The word love here is the Greek word agape, meaning godly love, Christ-like love, Calvary love, that's often referred to as Calvary love because on the cross, we see the greatest example of that love. We see that personified in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for God so loved, that is agape, the world that he gave. And so the idea of that word, it is a selfless, sacrificial, giving love, putting others before self. Now the Bible tells us generally as Christians that we're to esteem others better than ourselves. We're to, we're to look at people as more important than ourselves. You know, uh, the world, society is becoming more and more selfish and so, I don't know who does this, but they, you know, they name generations. I don't know who does it, I don't care who does it, but, you know, there was a me generation, and that, that's just so, so con- contrary, so opposite of what the Bible teaches. It's not about me, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's about God, it's about Him, and what can I do to please Him who gave so much for me, right? Um, so we need to get this me, me, me stuff out, and and, uh, and anyway, so um, and so here's the goal. The ideal is as Christ, see that in verse 25, 
as Christ also loved the church. He agaped the church. Or he had that love and gave himself for it. Now, and so the love that we're supposed to have for our wives is, is a giving, giving love. Now, and then it says, I want us to notice that verses 26 and 27 talk about the spiritual interest that Christ had in the church. That, in other words, why did he give himself for us? Why did he give himself for the church? That, and that's a purpose word, so that he might sanctify, in other words, set it apart, cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And so uh, the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for us to save us from our sins, but also he had the, you know, he had the finished product in mind, what his goal was to make of us. So, in this particular sense, as the word is used in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, he is talking primarily of a spiritual relationship, a spiritual love. Now, and in this whole passage, especially near the end, it make, Paul makes it very clear that the main thing he's writing about is Christ and the church. But Christ and the church are pictures of the Christian husband and the Christian wife. And the Christian husband and the Christian wife or Christian marriage is a picture of the church. All right? And so there's so many similarities. Christ is, the, you know, the Christ represents the husband, the husband represents Christ, the church represents the wife, the wife represents the church. And so there's that relationship. And so primarily a spiritual one. Now, we did, I, I did, did not read the verse where it says in verse talking to the women, it says the husband is the head, just like Jesus is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the wife. And that's biblical, that's Bible, that's God's command or his instruction, no matter what anybody else says. And I'm sorry to hear and to see that even so-called Christian circles, churches and so-called Christian programs are starting to diminish that. They're even, you know... But anyway, that's, that's their problem. God says what he means, and he means what he says. And so I said all that to say, we ought to have, we as husbands ought to have a spiritual interest in our wives and to make sure that they are, you know, given every opportunity to be what they ought to be uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I, in case I forget to say it later, one of the things is this, that if, as a Christian husband, Christian wife, our wives, among other things, they are, they are our sisters in Christ. And so we need to treat them that way. They're sisters in the Lord and that fellowship and so on. So love, all right? Verse 29 is the word that says, No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth, all right? And cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. And so these are given by principle that the Lord says the godly husband will nourish his wife. And the word here is a word that means to nourish, to feed, to care for. And so it is our responsibility, husbands before God, to care for our wives and to see to it that her material needs are met so that she has what she needs for life, food, clothing, all those kinds of things. 
um, you know, whatever she needs, whatever, you know, if she has a health issue, we need to make sure that that's taken care of and we, make, and we, we provide for that. So to just care for, let her know that she's cared for and, and nourish her. Um, I could give a negative example. Um, I knew a guy one time that he had, he had always had the latest truck, the latest tools, nobody here. Uh, he was, had nice clothing, his, his teeth were always cared for, his, his wife was basically in rags and her teeth were a mess, and he didn't seem to care about that. It was all about him, right? Now that's, and that's not right, and they're both Christians, so, um, you know, that's, that's not, and I didn't have much opportunity to talk to them, but anyway, so that's the opposite of nourish, right? And so we need to realize that. So I'm emphasizing the fact that the word nourish here is basically talking about physical and earthly and material needs, right? And then we have the word cherish. Notice that. Cherisheth it. The word cherish is, is literally means to keep warm, to cherish with tender love. Several things, obviously the physical affection, but other things are suggested here. Here, um, make her feel safe, protected, and secure, and hold her. You know, keep her warm. That's the idea of that word cherish. Be tender to her, be affectionate to her, make her feel special. And that's biblical. That's that's all that that's all wrapped up in that word cherish. Um, now, when I was a kid growing up, there was a song, a hit song on the radio. And uh, back in the day when even, you know, secular music was pretty decent. And that was, that was the name of the song, Cherish. Do you remember that? Um, I can't remember any of the words except uh, Cherish, like something like Cherish is the word. And, and, uh, and I do cherish you, you know. Uh, very pretty song, beautiful song. In fact, it was the music could be a hymn. It was that it was that nice of a, a style of music, and I, I love that. I love that song. Um, I'm gonna have to fight it, play it, so I can remember uh, more of the words. But to to cherish, you know, I wrote this in my notes. A little TLC goes a long way, and and we guys, you know, the Bible tells us not to be bitter and and so on because that's our our tendency is to be rough and gruff. And I don't know, maybe some guys watch too many John Wayne movies or something like that. By the way, he's not the example of a biblical man. You know, that kind of woman, you know. That, that's not the biblical model of manhood. Unfortunately, that's been the model, at least in our country, other places too, other countries of the world. And, uh, you know, anyway, a lot more we could say. Uh, verse 31, take a look at the word there. Uh, the word joined. Right? Verse 31. For this cause. For what cause? So that a man can be the godly husband he needs to be. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. Alright, that's that's a word that means physically leave. Alright? In other words, move out <laughs> and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And so the word is joined. We want to take a look at there. Again, people are, people are careless with the word of God. I really think so. I mean, I know Christian couples that live with the parents. And that, that's just, that's not what God intended. That's, there's a reason he says leave. Because when a child is growing up, 
earthly speaking, other than the Lord, a child's first responsibility is to his parents or her parents, right? It says in the Bible, honor thy father and mother. Children, obey your parents. That's the relay, That's their number one responsibility. All right? When a man gets married, that's no longer mom and dad, and especially it seems like mom, is no longer the number one responsibility. It's the relationship with the, the husband with his wife. Now listen carefully. This takes priority or precedence over the relationship to the parents. All right? And so, sometimes it's mom, you know, daughter with dad and, and, and son with mom, and that kind that can interfere. That can, you know, that can cause problems. And I, I knew this wasn't a Christian couple, so I understand that. Things are different with that. But I worked with a guy years ago, and a young man, he married the boss's daughter. And they just, they drove the poor guy crazy, the mother especially. They, they just, they said, you're going to be here tonight, you're going to be there tomorrow night, we've got this thing, this party, this getting going. And the guy finally said, I can't take it anymore, I'm out of here. Because I, I can't, I, he couldn't stand his life being run, and I don't know how he, why he ended up her, but it's, the, the parents had a way of letting him know he wasn't good enough for their daughter. And of course, how would you like that? You know, how would you like to be in a situation like that? So, so that, you know, there, needs, there, needs, there needed to be a break. I mean, I need a break away. And again, uh, people could do things, and I realized a few years ago, um, I don't know where it started, some preacher, some author. Anyway, they came up with the idea of um, uh, putting, cut, you know, we talked about cutting the apron strings, and so guys would actually, mothers would cut off their apron strings and give them to their boy, their son, as a, as a symbol, like, you're no longer in this house. You're no longer, you know, your main responsibility is to your wife, and, and so on. And, and so, joined, all right? Joined just means to be united to, but it's, it's to be united to, to hold, or to claim, you know? And marriage ceremonies, the good ones, Christian ones, still have in there to have and to hold, all right? Join, you know, leave father, mother, claim. You know, the Bible uses the word cleave, and that word, and the word joined here is a word that is, it means to be glued together. It's like, you know, an unbreakable bond, and then it says, they too shall be one flesh. They're one, physically and spiritually, and, and in life, you know. Um, when people get married, it's not, they're no longer, it's no longer two lives, it's one. And I've had, talked to people over the years that, um, one concern that I've heard, you know, from young wives over the years, once in a while, is this, my husband still thinks he's one of the boys. He just thinks he should be able to go out and whenever he wants to, and I tell you what, that's just not it. You know, when you're, when you're married, it's, all, it's a whole different ball game, so to speak. Joined to his wife, they too shall be one flesh. All right? So there's a, there's a union there, there's a clinging, and all those kinds of things. And you know, I used to, I probably have said this before, but when we were first married, or even before I was married, you know, I would see these old couples, you know, in their 40s <laughs> or 50s or even 60s, and I'd see them walking along holding hands, oh, that's pretty cute, you know. You know, but I always thought like as, as people got older, it wasn't, that, it wasn't as important. All right.
right? Well, boy, do I know different now, right? I know now why they, why they were clinging and why they were holding hands and all that sort of thing. Um, because if a marriage is what it's supposed to be, it gets more precious as years go by. And, and praise the Lord for that. Okay, but we could say more. Now I want us to go to 1 Peter chapter 3. And um, one verse, but there's like five things in this verse um, that I want us to want to just remind you of. Again, this is husbands. Where you know, the passage has advice to wives too. In fact, First um, uh, Peter chapter three, the first seven verses talk about godly marriage, and the first six are to the women. So there's a lot there, but there's also a lot for the men. In fact, I think God packed into verse seven. Uh, as much as there is in verses 1 to 6. Um, I think it's because, God, we're, God, we're simpler. You know, if we don't, we, you know, anyway, we don't need all the details, right? Uh, but we should care for details more than we do. Somebody will have a baby. I'll get to the phone. Hey, uh, someone's had a baby. What do they have? Uh, I don't know. They just had a baby. Um, how big was it? I don't know. How much it was? I don't know. What they name it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like it. I'm trying to be better at those kind of things. But notice here, 1 Peter 3, verse 7. It says, likewise, ye husbands, right? We're going to get right here's The first key word, dwell. In fact, dwell with is one word in the original, all right? Dwell with. It simply means to live with and be with. Don't live a separate life. Again, these, these guys that think they're, you know, think they can still be one of the boys and everything like that. Now, you know, it's okay to go out once in a while or go golfing wherever you do, but it's, that should not be a habit of our life. Same with the gap, same with the girls, you know. It's okay to have a girls' night out once in a while. You know, we have things in the church once in a while for guys and once in a while for ladies. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. But we don't want to have, live a separate life. Um, I've known people, in fact, I, I'm, this is kind of close, so I don't try to guess, but our oldest daughter used to babysit, and the husband and wife took separate vacations. And, and that marriage ended up breaking up, falling apart. You know? and, and so, anyway, well, I worked for a guy one time, his wife came to me, you're a preacher, can't you talk some sense into my husband? <laughs> and I, I don't, when I say that, I don't, but, and it was like this, he, he'll, he'll never do anything with us. He's too busy working, really. So that's, that's dangerous, that's a problem. So dwell, dwell with them, live with them, right? And then secondly, it says in this verse, according to knowledge. According to knowledge. The word translated knowledge here is a word that means understanding. And part of the definition of this word is to learn through investigation. So when you guys, when you married your wife, did you know everything about her? I sure didn't know about, you know. So it's a learning. Well, we got to learn. We want to learn. We need to learn. Understanding. And it just bugs me when people make jokes about how you can't understand women. That's just, that's a cop-out. That's an insult to the women. It's, it's degrading. It's awful, all right? We, we shouldn't do that, um, guys. We should not. And so... Um, so the idea here is to know her, understand her, learn what she likes, what she needs, what she doesn't like, what she fears, all those things. Guys, we are to be a man for our wives, and we're there to be able to confide in us and trust in us and, and rest in us and, and all those kinds of things, right? We need to do that. Um, 
Then the next thing it says in the verse is giving honor. Honor. And the word that's translated honor here is a word that means value or specialness. Giving honor. Make her feel special. Make her feel precious. Praise her. Compliment her. Pamper her. Yes. Pamper her as much as you can. All right. Now, in Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman, it says about her husband, you know, praiseth her. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. All right. So we, we need to do that. Notice it says, to, as unto the weaker vessel. We need to understand our wives need, whether they realize it or not, and they're screaming today. You know, our society, the women are screaming out that they don't need men and blah, blah, blah. You know, kids don't need a father. It takes a village and all that nonsense that's being put forth out there. But God created the man, the woman for the man, the man for the woman, and he intended, that's how God intended for things to be. Um, and so... There's a weak, there's a weaker, weaker physically and emotionally is one thing. Again, we're talking about men, but you need to realize this, all right, about your wife. And then this, the verse goes on to say, being heirs together of the grace of life. And that word heirs together simply means to inherit together. Sharing together the grace of God for living, for life. Um, you know, participating together. Living for God together by the grace of God. The grace of life. We, obviously, we, we need that. Everybody needs the grace of God individually. We need it as couples to, we, to, to live for the Lord. Again, as I said earlier, I, I want to say again, among other things, a Christian wife is a sister in the Lord. Right? And so there, there needs to be that fellowship, that co-dependence on the Lord and His grace. Now, all these things together are given to us so that the last part of the verse doesn't happen in our lives. So all these things, dwell with them, according to knowledge, give honor, be heirs together, that your prayers be not hindered. Okay? Prayers be not hindered. So, is there, are there reasons by, biblically why prayers don't get answered? Yes, there are. And here's one right here. An improper marriage relationship and strife and so on in the marriage will cause prayer, notice it says, to be hindered. Now the word, English word hindered is a proper translation, but it's a little bit weaker than what the Greek says. The Greek says literally cut off or cut down. So your prayers are cut off. What does that mean? Well, it means they don't reach heaven. Okay? The idea of this word is of breaking up a road. We, all, we do whatever. In Pennsylvania, we know what broken up roads are like. Um, and then when I was in, I mean, these Pennsylvania roads, they're great compared to Liberia roads. I mean, one time it took Pastor Jesse and I eight hours to go 75 miles. Those are some roads, man. <laughs> you know, there's like driving into it. I remember one time we were going, this is on that 75 mile, eight hour trip, and we come over this hill, and I thought, oh my word, Jesse had this little Nissan thing, and I said, we're, we're, I, go, we're, I didn't say it out loud, I think, God, we're never, we're not going to make it through this hole. I mean, it was like driving into a pond. 
But we did, but anyway. So, but that's the idea. That word means to break up the road, making travel difficult, all right? And so we need to realize that, take it seriously. If we want our prayers answered, we better make sure that our relationship with a wife is where it ought to be. All right, three quick examples and then we're done. Let's take a look at Isaac back in Genesis 24. If I were, you know, if, if you were to uh, pinpoint, put a gun to my head and say, I'm going to shoot you if you don't tell me your favorite passage on marriage, I don't think anybody would ever do that. But um, I think if I had to pick one favorite scripture or passage on marriage, it would be Genesis 24. Um, and I have a message somewhere in my notebooks, in my, in my notes, that I've entitled, A Marriage Made in Heaven. And so it was the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah. And you know the story about how Abraham sent his servant. You know, and again, I, I, I'm not saying that we ought to have arranged marriages today, but I'm not saying we shouldn't in some ways. I mean, it ought to be arranged by God anyway. Okay. And so back at the end of the chapter... By the time we get to the end of, near the end of chapter 24, Rebecca and Abraham's servant and the caravan are making their way back to Canaan. And so we find, let's pick it up in verse 63, right? Genesis 24, 63. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at eventide. It was exactly where he should have been. He went out to pray in fellowship with God. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. So the caravan is heading. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camels. So she got down, and for she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. By the way, Bible, biblical examples like this is why the, the bride wears a veil, and it's a joke a lot, most times today because she's anything but pure when she goes to the, to the marriage altar. But that's what it's meant to be. It's, it's the idea of virginity and purity and covering herself you know, for, before her husband. She took a veil, covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all, the, all things he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. Okay, so they were joined physically and all that. And he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. You see, until this point, uh, and, and, and Sarah had already died by this time, and, um, and so he, he, he was, you know, missed his mom, loved his mother, but then, then Rebecca came along and filled in that void. He's comforted after his mother's death. And he loved her. And that word, that's a neat word in Hebrew. It's the idea of spiritually, physically, emotionally, in every way. Isaac loved this woman. And so then, let's go to chapter 25 real quick, which is obviously the next chapter over from, number, from 24, uh, verse 20. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebecca to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian, of Paddan Aram, the sister to Laban the Syrian, and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now the Bible says later in the chapter that Isaac was 60 years old when Jacob and Esau were born. So that means that they were married at 40, their first, their children came at, eight, at when they were 60, or when Isaac was 60, so 20 years. But Isaac prayed. He prayed for, to the Lord, for, on behalf of Rebekah, that the Lord would give her children. 
right? So what a great example of husband. He loved her and he prayed for her, okay? Same thing, similar situation. When Rachel came to Jacob and said, give me children, she said, well, he said, what do you think I am, God? A wonderful attitude. He didn't pray like Isaac did anyway. Well, we do have an example of Jacob, though. Let's go there. Uh, Jacob, Genesis chapter 28. He's the next one. Uh, Genesis chapter 28. And I can't imagine this, being this. I can't, I've never been in a situation anywhere near like this, but J Jacob's attitude in serving Laban for Rachel, right? Genesis 28, uh, verses... Whoops, uh-oh. Not 28. Um, let me see. Try 29. Yes, 29. Typewriter made a mistake. Uh, Genesis 29, verse 18 says, And Jacob loved Rachel. He met her, and you know the story, and said, I will serve thee. Notice Jacob said, I will serve. He volunteered, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than I give, should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. So Jacob just did it gladly. Seven years, like a few days. Now I want to say about that, guys, are you happy to do things for your wife? Are you happy when she asks you, or do you do things without being asked? because you know she wants you to or are happy with, all right? Um, it's amazing how simply carrying a can of garbage to the road can be such a hard thing to do sometimes. I hate garbage. I hate it. Anyway, I just despise it. I smell everything. But that's one of my jobs. I, would, I wouldn't want her to, you know, take the garbage out. That's a man's job. Anyway, I might be in trouble. But anyway, well, but seriously, are you happy to do things? Um, are you happy to do things? for your wife uh, we need to be Jacob did that things were things didn't always go great for them but anyway that part was good Jacob had that right all right let's go to first Samuel last one this is the example of Elkanah this is Hannah's husband now I guess we'll have to forgive Elkanah because he had two wives but anyway we'll, I guess we will kind of overlook that in our study for tonight but anyway don't know how that happened um Anyway, it was kind of common in those days. God never intended for that to be, but he allowed it. Anyway, so in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, verse 3, talking about Elkanah, um, it says this in 1 Samuel 1, 3, And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. All right? And that's where they went. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and daughters portions. As he gave them blessings. And, but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, that is a double portion. For he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And so, um, so he, the, he, you know, he gave, he loved her, and he gave her a worthy portion. In other words, to him, it was more than just an obligation. Right? He gave more to her because he loved her. And then, of course, you know the whole thing where, she, where Hannah went up to pray and asked God for a child. And then, so we skip down to verse 19. 
and they rose up in the morning early. This is after she prayed. By the way, the Bible, let's back up to verse um, 18. And she said, this is Hannah to, to Eli, when Eli finally got, got the picture and pronounced a blessing upon her. And she said, Let thine handmaid fight, fight grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. Now that's a tremendous example of what it means to pray and leave something with the Lord. Right? Her whole countenance changed, even though nothing was different, but she believed God would help. And he rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned. Notice they rose up, Elkanah and Hannah, they worshipped for the Lord and returned and came to her house to Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah's wife and the Lord remembered her. Before, wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel saying because I have asked him of the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. Right? So he did, he did what he was supposed to do. But Hannah went not up for she said unto her husband I will not go up until the child be weaned and then I will bring him bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. So remember, Hannah made the vow that if God would give her a son, she would give him back to the Lord. Right? That's what this is about. And here's, notice Elkanah, her husband said to her, verse 23, do what seemeth thee good. Right? Tarry until thou have weaned him, only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until she had weaned him. She nursed him till he was off the breast and then they took him when he was weaned they took him probably five years old something like that maybe a little older took him to Eli and presented him but what I love about Elkanah here was he said that's fine just whatever the Lord wants you to do let's do that you know it was his son too <laughs> but then of course the next chapter we find that because of their faithfulness and their willingness God blessed them with three more sons and two daughters right and so anyway so three men, good examples. Isaac, he, he prayed, he loved his wife, he prayed for her. Jacob was willing to do things for his wife and Elkanah was, was, helped her spiritually, allowed her to do what God had laid upon her heart. By the way, in that economy in those days, it, talks, it tells the, the numbers, especially that a father or husband could annul his wife's or daughter's vow. But Elkanah did not. He said, we'll do that, go ahead. Well. Let's, in closing tonight, let's think about what we've heard. Um, our wives, husbands, our wives need to know that we love them and that they are precious to us. I don't think we have to worry about making our wives feel too special. I don't think that they're going to abuse that. I, I, hope, I don't think so. According to the Word of God, our first priority is our relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our second priority is our relationship with our wife. Now, I'm going to say something that's good, that some people don't agree with and it's debatable or it's, it's, not, it's controversial today. But it, to me, this is what I believe according to the Bible. My relationship with Jan is more important than work. Now, I don't have a job as such. It's more important than hobbies. And this is where the controversy comes. It's even more important than ministry. Right? And your ministry, whatever your ministry is, that's secondary to your relationship to the Lord because ministry is not relationship with the Lord. It should be an aspect or it should be a fruit of our ministry with God. When I was a young fella, a wise pastor gave me two things, one thing of advice. He said, never let your classroom study take the place of your personal time in the Word 
and prayer. They're two different things. And another guy, Pastor Haynes, some of you remember Harold Haynes gave me this advice. We had like we had we had children already. And he said to me, he said, Young Gary, don't ever be ashamed, don't ever be afraid to say that your family comes before ministry, right? And so if there's a need there, right? And I believe that. I believe that's biblical. Every God's number one, our spouse is number two, and then every church is after that. Now, obviously, my wife is a Christian, a godly lady. She would never want me to miss church. (laughs) She would never want me to not do what the pastor's responsibilities are. He said, don't ever be afraid to go out and play ball in the backyard with your kids, even though you've got a hundred things you could do, all right? And so I I think, I believe believe that's right, and, and that's good, you know. Jesus talked about those who give up wives and so on, but that's not that's guys that don't have them. That's guys who remain single in order to give their full time to the Lord, all right? Because, you know, Paul was writing to Christian men, love your wife as Christ loved the church and all those kinds of things. So, but anyway, whatever, whatever you think about those other things, the Bible is clear. There's no doubt that our number one relationship is with the Lord, our second most is, is with our, our spouse, and then children, grandchildren, so on. You know, the children, grandchildren do not take priority over the husband, wife. Okay, and we've been talking about that lately. We're seeing all these things. Kids are just too important in today's society. Everything has to be about them. You know, and uh, some of it, it's getting ridiculous. Um, I don't know if you heard. Have you heard about? Have you heard of furries? Oh, I probably should shut that off. No, it's all right. Have you heard this thing? Kids now, they're furries. They're dressed like animals. And we got shared with a lady from town. She's so so upset, young lady, that uh, in Walmart the other day, there was a little boy dressed up as a dog. And so that his mom let him go over to the, a box, lift his leg, and pee in Walmart. That's all they can say, church. And schools are putting litter boxes in the bathroom because they want to be animals. And you can't deny a kid anything today. How ridiculous. We gotta be careful that we as Christians don't fall into that and over elevate our kids and grandkids above the relationship we have with each other, right? Because that is that is number one. Why how can I say that? Well, because Jesus God didn't use he used the husband and wife as as illustration of the church. He didn't use the children and parents, he didn't use work, he didn't use anything else to illustrate the church. He, he used the husband wife relationship. That is the priority. All right. Because if you're not married, um, then in some cases you're free from some of those responsibilities and you can give yourself totally to the Lord. Again, but it's not wrong to get to be married, obviously. All right. You could study 1 Corinthians 7 about that, about whether to be single and so on. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time in the word of God. And I, I hate to bring up some of these things that are going on today, Lord, but we need to just see... The, the desperate depravity of our society and how um, in seeking to cater and, and pamper children, they're actually neglecting them. They're actually a, a bringing, they're abusing them by allowing them to go off on these crazy tangents and things. Help us, O oh Lord, to set the example by what we teach and preach and by what we do. And I want to thank you tonight, Lord, for marriage. It's a precious thing. I'm so glad that you did not call upon me to be single, even though you know that in Bible college I prayed about that and was willing to do that if that was your will. But Lord, I thank you for what you've done.
Thank you for the husbands and wives that are here tonight. Bless them, dear God. And for those who are no longer married or, or, or haven't been married, I'll bless them, Lord. Continue to lead them in their lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, what's our hymn? 340. Let's stand, please. 340. Um, <clears throat> nearer, still nearer. Nearer, still nearer. Somebody showed me one time years ago, I don't remember actually where I saw it, it was a book, but it had to do with marriages and counseling and that sort of thing. And uh, I saw a triangle, and the triangle, they drew a triangle on a piece of paper, and they put God at the top, and they put the husband and wife down here, and they said, guess what happens? The closer you get to God, the closer you get to one another. And that's why I picked that last hymn, Nearer, Still Nearer. You know, if we if we draw nearer and nearer to God, both in it will be cold will be nearer to our spouse in the way that we ought to be. Alright, let's just um verse one and verse four, shall we? Verse one, verse four, nearer, still nearer.
Lord, thanks for the for fellowship we can have with thee individually, and thank you that we can meet together as a body in Christ and, and sing hymns to thee and just uh, fellowship together and share testimonies and that we can hear the word of God. Thank you for it. Help us, O Lord. Help again, please be with the, with the couples here tonight. Um, and bless them, dear Lord, and just help us to walk with thee and, and walk with our spouse in love and in honor and it's all the things you have for us. Watch over us again tonight. Again, I do pray once again, Lord, please clear the way for everyone as they travel to their homes. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. And also, Lord, please bless our week of Bible school. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.